I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Yeah, yeah. Great American rap resurrection. Rest in peace, young ass, young ass. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Turn the Jets podcast. I'm your host, Will Parkinson, at WillPaw11 on Twitter, joined by a very special guest today, the Draft Network, Jordan Reed. Jordan, how are you doing today? I'm good, Will. Thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure being here. Yeah, it's an exciting time of year, especially uh, especially in your line of work. Draft season is, uh, is very much approaching. We have three weeks to go. Um, I think three weeks to the day, actually. Until the, uh, yeah. until the NFL draft and an exciting time of year. And unfortunately, as Jets fans, I make this joke all the time. I feel like the Super Bowl um, is between March and uh, the end of April, just based on the draft and looking forward to who, you know, all these different, you know, accumulation of picks. But um, I'll start you off with, I guess I'll start you off with an easy one. Obviously, um, looks like Zach Wilson, 99.5% is going to go. Number two overall, what are your thoughts on him as a prospect? And do you think he's a good fit with the Jets? Yeah, for sure. And, you know, there's always this random quarterback that comes out of nowhere and just has a super far ascension in their development. And we saw with Joe Burrow a year ago, and then Zach Wilson was that guy this year. And, you know, he got a lot of fifth and sixth round grades coming to the year just because he was coming off the surgery to his thumb and then also his throwing shoulder in back-to-back years. And there were some concerns about him there. He didn't finish the year strong either. So he wasn't really labeled as a guy that a lot of people were intrigued by, especially in the early rounds. But he goes out and he plays really well in the opening game of the season. And then he just continues that on and on and on. And everybody likes to bring up the soft schedule and then the lack of competition with him. But I always say good throws are good throws. And if he's making high-level throws, it doesn't really matter if he's playing in his backyard with his parents or if he's doing it against a certain competition that's on the schedule. He's not the person that's responsible for scheduling the opponent. So all he can do is just go out and execute. And that's what he did at a high level. Now, as far as the Jets, I think he would be a really good fit and. I, I think it was a no-brainer for the Jets to take a quarterback at two just because of the financial standpoint of it. And we know Sam Darnold's fifth-year option was coming up here. They had to make a decision by that. I believe it was in May, at the beginning of May. So resetting that clock, it allows Joe Douglas to keep a cheap option at quarterback while he still feels in the roster. And the, the, the 2012 Seahawks really set the blueprint of this, of that. Um, the, the, one of the bigger weapons in NFL and roster building is having a cheap quarterback. So I think Joe Douglas had a very promising um, as far as his first draft class, but now he gets a chance to build upon that. And, you know, having three picks in the top 34, he's going to have a chance to build a strong roster. In terms of, obviously, people think, you know, they see Wilson, they think of kind of scrambling out the throws where he's literally both feet off the ground or, you know, the throw at the pro day, rolling left and throwing, you know, a post play action back the other side, but, you know, opposite hash. Do you think that there's something that fans may not see, having not watched the film that stood out to you, um, you know, with Wilson, that you thought, okay, this guy has really made some strides here, not just the arm talent, but he's something else that he's doing that, you know, the casual fan may not see. Well, I put out a video of this. I think it was about about two months ago, prior to the bowl game against against UCF. 
Um, and he just understood the difference between ball placement and accuracy. That was the biggest difference that I saw with Zach Wilson. And what I mean by that is I think completion percentage kind of tells like half of the story with quarterbacks and it's just a number. But when you dive into the film, that's where you start to see ball placement. And for example, so he's throwing slant routes and a lot of times with quarterbacks, you see him aim for the eyes and sometimes it's even behind the receiver. So in the stat sheet that goes down as a completion, but if you're leading receivers and you're allowing them to run through the ball while still being able to progress upfield without having to break stride, now that's where the difference between ball placement and accuracy comes into play. And that's what I saw different with Zach Wilson this year. And that's why I said he understood the difference between natural accuracy and just having a high completion percentage as compared to ball placement. His ball placement was phenomenal last year. Now, I, uh, I definitely tend to agree. Something that, you know, non-Jets really um, quarterback front, as of now, it looks like Mac Jones, at least if you read the tea leaves, is going to go three. How surprised are you um, that that's the case? At least that's what's kind of being talked about. And if you were the 49ers, who would you take in, if it wasn't Mac Jones? Maybe it is, but. Uh, I'm really surprised um, that that's kind of leaking. Um, I, I don't, I honestly don't believe it. Uh, I still think Justin Fields is going to be the pick at three and I just don't see – I always come back to this. I just don't see what Mac Jones gives you that Jimmy Garoppolo doesn't. They have a lot of parallels. I think Jimmy is more mobile than what Mac is. And, yes, the financial situation comes into the picture as far as Mac is obviously going to be more cheaper um, than Jimmy G. But I just don't see the overdeeming qualities that he has over him right now that, that you think gives you a leg up, especially in that division where you're going against Kyler Murray, uh, Russell Wilson, and now Matthew Stafford twice a year. So. I just don't see a situation of where he can eventually overcome those guys and go from the fourth best quarterback to that first guy in the division. I just don't see how he just puts you over Jimmy G and how he's more superior to Jimmy. So I don't really believe the rumors of him going to three. Um, and I mean, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. I'll admit that I'm wrong there, but I just don't see how that pick makes sense if they do end up selecting him there. And I think Justin Fields definitely has more upside. I think he has more tools at the position. And yes, he does lack some, Important qualities. I think there's some situations of where he tries to play a little bit too perfect. And that's where um, the, the little bit of, you know, hanging on to his first read and the progressions where he does struggle a little bit with that. But I think it's a more of a process of elimination type of thing of where he just needs to eliminate things a little bit earlier than what he does. That's why he gets stuck on that first guy a little bit more than you would like. So I like the upside more with fields. And if they do end up selecting Mac Jones at three, it wouldn't make a lot of sense to me. Could not agree with you more on the field's point. I think sometimes we use the first read as, oh, he doesn't go through progressions, but I almost think he's just trying so hard to, like, follow. Like, it's not that he can't go through the reads. It's just like he's almost choosing not to because he wants to be perfect in a lot of senses. Um, from a Mac Jones perspective, I just – my concern is how much better is he making it? Like, I, I don't – I think he's a guy that in the right situation – with the right talent around him could do well, but I don't think like the Niners are going to go from with Jimmy G fully healthy roster, a 10 win team to being a 12 win team. I, like you said, I just think they're very similar players and I'm not sure. Like I think Justin Fields, potential in Shanahan's offense takes them to a much higher level. Maybe his floor is a little lower, but I don't know. I just don't think you have three first round picks to trade it for a guy that some people have probably is their fourth or fifth best quarterback. So that's just my opinion, but, Obviously, if we want to get, you know, getting back to the Jets, pick 23 for them now seems, you know, much more fun, fun to debate and go through who they could potentially take there with almost certainty they're going to take Wilson at two. 
who are some guys, you know, I, I've gone through the J.C. Horn, Elijah Vera Tucker, Greg Newsom. Mm-hmm. Are those the type of guys that you, you know, kind of project them to take at 23? And do you think even those guys would actually be there? Uh, I don't think J.C. will be there. I think he's working himself into being a top 20 at worst selection, especially considering what he's put out there on tape. And then his pro day was excellent as well. So he has the testing numbers now to back up the promising film that he does have as well. I actually had the Jets trading up to get him. In my last mock draft, they exchanged picks with the Colts. Um, they'll probably have to move up even higher um, to get him now with that situation going on there. So um, J.C. would be a home run pick for them, but I think this pick really comes down to edge rusher, offensive line, or corner. And, yes, I know they signed Carl Lawson, but I still think uh, with the lack of talent that the Jets have had in years past coming off of the edge, it wouldn't surprise me if they take somebody like a Joseph Asai from Texas, um, he could be an option there. It may be a little bit early for him, but I think it will be a good pick. I think he's worthy of a first-round selection. Um, Jalen Phillips could be in a situation where he does slip a little bit just because of the concussions and then some of the off-the-field hiccups that he's had uh, coming off of uh, his career at UCLA when he was there prior to transferring to Miami. So they're going to have their pick of the litter. I think an edge rusher, Aziz Ojolari, may even be there just because there's a lot of teams that are really split on this edge rush class. There isn't really a consensus guy at the top like we have seen in years past, like Miles Garrett or Joey Bolster or even a Chase Young going back to last year. So um, I don't think there's really a, a consensus guy. So Joe Douglas may be sitting on the board at 23, and he may have this pick of the litter between Aziz Ojolari, Jalen Phillips, and then some of these other edge rushers that are in the class. Cornerback, we know the top three guys are Farley, Sertain, and then also Horn. There may be a situation of Farley staring there them in the face, especially considering the back situation that's going on with him having two surgeries in the last two years. So it's going to be really interesting, but I definitely think it's going to be an interior offensive lineman, a corner or edge rusher. So you don't think they're going to go receiver? No. I mean, I I, mean, I think uh, I think receiver is a position that sounds great on paper, and if Bateman or Kadarius Tony is probably more risky at 34. Guys like that, you know, Rondell Morris of the world, could add a lot to the offense and get, but at, you know, all that type of stuff with guard edge and corner still such big holes that feel like you can't find as much value later in the draft, maybe a guard round two and round three, but I agree with you on that. I picked 23 and now pick 34. I am sure it's going to be somewhat similar, um, a little bit different, but I pick 34. Do you see kind of the similar, similar outlook, you know, outlook on trying to find guard corner and, uh, and edge rusher at 34 as well. If that's full. Yeah, I think so. And I think that pick is one we need to pay a lot of attention to just because now that they have Sam Darnold out of the building, it wouldn't surprise me if Joe Douglas wants to move up for to get another first-round pick. So now you're in a situation of where you have three first-round picks. It wouldn't surprise me if he does end up doing that, if somebody does end up slipping to the back half of the first round, let's say like a Caleb Farley, just because there's some teams that are you know just scared off by the back injury. I would be firmly comfortable. Now, I don't have access to the medical situation, of course, so I don't have any inside information. I can't really comment on that. But if we're just talking about the talent, if he's sitting there at, let's say, like pick 30 or 31 or even the late 20s, I would be very uh, intrigued to trade up to get a guy like that. Just pairing him with Bryce Hall. Now you have two young corners on the edge. You know, I couldn't uh, I couldn't agree more. I think it's a position that it's a kind of a, like I feel like Douglas will take more of a swing at 34. And just drafting as a whole, the way the Jets drafted last year felt like Generally speaking, mostly guys like Becton, Mims, high upside guys, potentially low floor guys, but high upside. And even some of the guys they've signed in free agency feel like they're betting on the talent, like a Gerard Davis. You're betting on LaMarcus Joyner to be 
two years ago, LaMarcus Joyner or uh, Carl Lawson had great, you know, pressures and, and hurries, but, you know, didn't produce the sack numbers and you're projecting he could be this elite guy. So I definitely agree with you there. And I think somebody like a Farley, for example, if he falls, I don't see the Jets being like, oh, the medicals, I'm not sure, because I feel like Douglas would be like, well, I could have potentially got a top 10 pick at 23. And if he works, it's going to be a huge steal at 23 or 34, as opposed to maybe a guy that, you know, a low floor taking a guard that early or, or something like that. But um, who are some of the guys in the draft? Could be round two, maybe round three that really have caught your eye that, yeah, they might not be getting the publicity of a JC Horn or, a, you know, this huge receiver group, but who are some guys that have really caught your eye that they could come in and maybe not produce week one, but by the end of the year, it would be like, wow, that was a pretty great pick at, you know, pick 85 or pick 100. Yeah, and I'll just stick to the Jets' needs here. So I'll start off with the edge rusher, Janarius Robinson from Florida State. He's one guy that I have circled in red Sharpie as one that I, I am super intrigued by just because Florida State, you know, the state of the program, they haven't done a, a super good job with develop, of developing some of the talent that they do have coming out of there. And I think he's a player that did develop during his final year. Go watch him against North Carolina last year. That was his best game by far. He had two sacks in that game. 87 and a half inch wingspan, super long arms. is very impressive at the pro day uh, as well. And then down at the senior bowl, too, I thought he was one of the better players. So keep an eye on Janarius Robinson. I think you can get him in the third round. I think he would be a home run selection there. Um, cornerback, I think one player that's really going to intrigue Joe Douglas is Efiatu Melifanwu. From Syracuse, I think he's one player that um, I think is going to go a little bit higher than what a lot of people are expecting. So if he comes off the board at 34, that wouldn't surprise me. He's the typical type of mold that Robert Sala likes in that defense as well. A long press man corner can play some zone as well, can run very physical as a run defender as well. So he checks a lot of boxes of what Sala has looked for in years past. Um, and then uh, with the interior offensive line, David Moore from Gramlin State. He's one player that you probably can get in the fourth round. Um, and I think he would be a plug-and-play type of player at center or even guard, whichever uh, area that they want to play him in. It's interesting. Um, both Syracuse corners, I feel like, are guys that, whether you look at round two or three and then later in the draft with Trill Williams, I just feel like those guys, um, these longer, you know, click-and-close type guys, um, you know, in Salah's defense, you look at the mold that Seattle, San Francisco have played with, obviously Richard Sherman, is, you know, kind of a mold for that. But he's had the guys, that's why I thought J.C. Horn, if he's still there at 23, is kind of a home run because I feel like his player comp is almost a Gilmore and Richard Sherman type of guy that's super physical. But, um, you yeah, know, there's there's definitely some, uh, like, a lot of interesting prospects, I would say. I wanted to ask you about a couple of guys that the Jets might not, you know, go in this direction, but are prospects I'm super intrigued by. A guy like Peyton Turner, how do you feel about him as a prospect? And do you feel like he's a realistic target potentially in round three? Big fan. I love his energy. And him and Joseph Asai, I think they play with the best motor of any player in this draft class. It's like those guys have a string in their back, and you pull that string, and it just constantly goes the entire game. So he has a lot of energy. Came into Houston about 300 pounds, and he primarily played defensive tackle. When he first got there, had a knee injury, and then he had to lose some weight. That's when he transitioned mostly to defensive end and five technique, and that's really where he was able to flourish. Still has some work to do as far as some moves with his hands and then this diversity and just diversifying his hand usage. But he's a really good run defender. And then he's already, I think, a player that plays with a lot of energy. So you can't really coach that into a player. That's just something that is naturally given and that want to from a player. So I'm a big fan of Peyton Turner. 
Yeah, we'll go to another guy. I, I could not agree more again. I'm not just trying to agree with you, but it's um, another guy that I think is probably going to go higher than it would be make sense for the Jets. I think taking a running back at two, obviously not at two, at 23, 34 doesn't make sense, but potentially is a third round guy. I love Javante Williams. Um, a, do you think he's even going to be there at that point? And do you think he would be a good fit if the Jets can address some of those interior offensive line? and edge needs early on uh, day one and two. I honestly would be surprised if he gets out of the top 50, honestly, just because we know ATN and Harris are probably going to be the first two that go. But I think there's a bit of a significant drop-off after those two. And I think Javante Williams probably is the headliner of that second tier. Some teams probably have him in that first tier, honestly. There's some teams even have him as the first or the second running back in this class just because the class isn't great overall. Um, at running back, but yeah, you talk about a guy that yes, started off his career as a linebacker from high school, and then Carolina transitioned him to running back. So when you see him in pass protection, that's why he's so naturally naturally physical. Was very smart as well, valedictorian coming out of high school. So you know he's very book smart, and that transitioned over uh, to the football field as well. He really hit his stride at North Carolina. But the great thing that I love about him is that he was a part of a committee. So you know there's a lot of uh, tread on the tires there, as opposed to the two other guys at the top. So. Uh, I'm a big fan of Javante Williams. He's another what I like to call my gold star player, the player that I put a star beside as one that I would pound the table for on draft day. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Yeah, no, I think Javante is awesome. I just, it's hard for me to buy that the Jets, based on the way Douglas has shown the running back room the last two years, like last year and the way he's built the running back room this year, I don't know that he takes a running back. I mean, I mean people have mocked the Jets to get, you know, Etienne and Harris at 23 and 34. I, I don't buy that. Not that I wouldn't love them as players. I just don't really think their effectiveness is the same if you're talking about, you know, this roster versus somebody like Buffalo, the bottom of the first round, or a team like that taking a running back. But um, a guy that I want – I was curious on your take um, – I think everyone consensusly thinks Kyle Pitts is awesome. How awesome is Kyle Pitts? Because I, in my opinion, he's the best tight end prospect I've ever seen. Um, I'm only 26 years old and I played tight end. So I'm kind of in awe of the athletic, <laughs> the athleticism. I mean, he might not be the Gronk level blocker, but he can also block. And he's probably would be the number one receiver <laughs> in this class, even with the Jamar chase. So how, how fun is it to a scout him and be how good of a prospect is he truly? So I'm super high on Pitts, too. He's actually my second-ranked player on my big board. So as you can see, I'm, I'm a huge fan of him as well. Um, I think the blocking aspect of him is kind of overlooked. I think he's what I like to call a try-hard blocker. He can play in line, and he, he's a bit serviceable. He will run his feet and try hard. Uh, it's not a situation of where, you know, he dies slow. What I mean by die slow is that he loses very slowly, and he's not winning blocks. He stands in there. He tries hard. He competes. He runs his feet. He keeps his face in there, and he's not afraid to block either. So I think he can provide some value as far as an inline guy, but we both know it. Everybody knows that his, his calling card is what he brings you in the passing game. Now he has to get with the creative play caller, just like they utilized him in Florida. You can put him in the backfield. You can 
you can put him in line, you can put him at the hip position, and you also can split him out wide in the slot too. So there's so many different variations of what he can do in the passing game, but also he messes with personnel matches matchups as well for defenses. So you can be in 11 personnel or you can be in 10 personnel and defenses don't really know which personnel base that you're in. So I think he's a, for lack of better words, a versatile chess piece. I know that's a word that we use every draft season for defensive players and also offensive players, but I think Cal Pitts is such a big matchup. I think he reminds you, he's very reminiscent of Darren Waller from the Las Vegas Raiders, but I think he's even more athletic than Waller. Yeah, no, I think I just it's kind of special to watch somebody like that big, that fast, that strong. I mean, you look at the matchup problems, like you mentioned, that Gronk caused for a decade, that Kelsey causes, that Kittle causes. It forces defenses to stay either in base personnel or, you know, be able to have a linebacker or a safety cover him or they go to nickel and then you can run down people's throats because Pitts is at least effective enough at blocking that you, you put him one on one with a you know, a nickel corner on the outside and run wide zone. So it's, it's, it's just, I know the Jets aren't going to end up with him, but um, you know, he would have been an incredible person to put on any team, quite frankly. Um, Something I was curious, you know, I have a couple of theories that a team like Miami is probably one of the most polarizing teams in the draft, um, in my opinion, just from an AFC's perspective. And also because they had pick three, I think in my opinion, they might've liked a lot of guys at three, including quarterbacks, but, saw the, you know, the offer San Francisco put in, was able to accumulate assets and then move back up. A, it's a two-part question. A, is there a chance they still take a quarterback if someone falls? And B, is there a chance they still trade back again on draft day if a quarterback falls? Yeah, I highly doubt that they take a quarterback um, just because I think they believe in Tua. I think they want to let him prove that he could be the guy, or if he can't be the guy, they're going to give him another year, I think, at least to prove that he can be the guy moving forward. And I think that was one of the biggest reasons why they accumulated the first trade when they traded back to 12 before they traded back up to six, just so they can have some ammo next year in 2022. If Tua proves that he can't be the guy, then they'll have the chance to you know, trade up possibly for another quarterback or if they want to trade for a veteran in 2022 or beyond. So uh, I don't think they're going to take a quarterback. Um, now, as far as what they're going to do at six, I think all options are on the table. I think it's between Kyle Pitts one, or one of the Alabama guys. I think that's what that pick really comes down to. If it were me, I would take Kyle Pitts just because I think he's the the better uh, of the bunch. And, you know, they already have Mike Gusecki. But I think when you can add a guy like Kyle Pitts into the fold, don't pass up blue chip players, even though you have a productive player already at that position. Yeah, no, I think if anything, they would take Waddle over Smith. Um, I'm, I think everyone's trying to copy the Chiefs. It's a copycat league. Most pro sports leagues are. You know, everyone try to copy the Warriors in the NBA. And everyone feels like they're trying to copy the Chiefs at some level. I think it's part of the infatuation with Wilson at two. And I also think it's the infatuation with Waddle and Pitts being that Kelsey, Tyreek Hill, you know, type players that can – there's nothing you can do against speed. You could be strongest dude ever. You could have the best technique, all that type of stuff. But at the end of the day, it's – kind of hard to compete with people when they're that much faster than you. Um, so it's just interesting to see from an AFC's perspective. Uh, you know, another team that I think, you know, this Jets fans don't want to hear this, but I'm convinced New England is at least entertaining trying to trade up to at least, you know, probably eight or seven, but potentially to four. Do you think there's some uh, fire where there's a little bit of, you know, where there's a little bit of fire right now with New England potentially moving up to four? I know Denver, Chicago, all those other teams are, 
you know, potentially interested as well. But do you see New England making that big splash or you think they're going to try to roll with Cam and, and see if he can recreate half a decade ago, Cam, <laughs> you know, a little bit older, but try to do yeah. it. I think it's possible, especially when you're talking about New England. Um, I think they're a team that needs a quarterback just because I don't think they're really sure about Cam Newton. And yes, I know they signed him to the one-year deal, but if you believe in him, go ahead and give him a multi-year deal. But you just can't do that based off what he showed uh, last year. And I know he was he was impacted with COVID. He didn't look the same uh, after he came back from being impacted by that. So it wouldn't surprise me if somebody like a Trey Lance or a Justin Fields, if they began to slip, I think Bill Belichick will get a little bit antsy in order to move up to get that guy. We saw what they did in free agency. They're a team that probably wants to win now. So if they stand pat at 15, that wouldn't surprise me either. They're one of the harder teams that's always hard to gauge as far as what they're going to do. Them in Seattle are always the two teams that are hard to really predict what they're going to do uh, just because they're so unconventional. They go against the grain so much as well. But uh, you talk about Detroit at seven. I don't think they're going to take a quarterback just because Brad Holmes, the general manager there, he handpicked Jared Goff when he was with the Rams. I think he's going to give a chance. He's going to give Jared a chance to prove that, that can he, be, he can be the guy for them going forward. And I know a lot of people are really predicting them to take, take a quarterback, but I just don't see that for them. Uh, we know Carolina's probably scratched off the list now with Sam Darnold. Uh, Denver really is the wild card. I don't really know what they're going to do just because they have a really good roster on defense. And then uh, they do need some help up front, so maybe they could take an offensive tackle or they could take a linebacker. I just don't know if you're willing to take a linebacker that high. I don't really think there's one worthy of a top 10 pick this year. Even though I'm a fan of Michael Parsons, I would be a little bit hesitant to, uh, to take him that early. So Denver is the one team that definitely is the wild card in that top 10. Yeah, it's interesting when you talk about New England Seattle. I feel like I assume they're always going to trade back. And if they don't, I'm shocked. <laughs> so, right. you know, it's uh, they're interesting. I think Denver is polarizing i thought it would be a good spot for sam i thought he would go to carolina if he was to be traded but i i thought that was you know a potential spot because great weapons potentially great weapons um they need help up front but defensively fangio and the amount of talent they've already added this offseason to a really good defense getting bob miller back guys like that they should be able to stop people and if they can get some production out of the quarterback position i'm not sold you locks very good at all um to be quite frank with you so yeah, I think they they're definitely a wild card there. One th- you know, one thing you brought up with Carolina, and I'm curious, and I know Jets fans don't want to hear about Sam anymore and whatever, but two things: a, how high on him out of college were you? I obviously was super high on him based on the way you can already tell I'm talking about him. B, um, do you think he'll be able to be successful in Carolina? And I guess to what degree do you still see his ceiling? Because I think that's the biggest question now, people in the league, that he's going to be better no matter what. But it's – is he going to be you – now is his ceiling Derek Carr or is his ceiling as high as it was coming out of college? Uh, it's kind of tough, especially when you talk about a quarterback that's going to be entering his fourth year. Um, you're probably going to have to reshape him a lot just because there were so many scars that were made with him. Uh, with the New York Jets and, you know, everybody heard the comment about him saying he's seeing ghosts and, you know, him being a little bit timid against pressure and not pulling the trigger as much as you would like, especially against pressure. And then when things were open, he just didn't see it cleanly as you would have liked just because the offensive line wasn't great. We know he was in a toxic environment with Adam Gase, but it seems like whenever a quarterback leaves Adam Gase, he just magically gets better. So with Joe Brady at the helm, I think he's in really good hands with him, a known quarterback developer in a QB friendly system. And I think with guys like uh, DJ Moore and Christian McCaffrey and then some of the other weapons that the Panthers have, I think this is the best 
supporting cast by far that he is going to have in his career. So it wouldn't surprise me if he does end up turning his career around. And yeah, I like Sam coming out, uh, but he did have his warts. The turnovers were a big problem with him uh, being on time and on schedule was something else that he struggled with coming out as well. So we'll see if Joe Brady is able to fix him. But as far as the swing that Carolina made, I actually like it uh, just because they probably stacked their board and they really didn't like the players that they were going to get as far as a quarterback uh, compared to Sam Darnold. And I'm sure they probably bought out their reports from Sam Darnold when he came out. What was their grade on him? What were some of the things they liked? What were some of the things they disliked? And then compared him to potentially a Mac Jones um, or even a Trey Lance or Justin Fields that possibly could be there at eight. So it's it's clear that they liked him better than the options that were going to be possible for them at eight. Yeah, it's interesting you say that because I think that was the case as well. Rule interviewed for that Jets job. Probably would have gotten the job and taken it if they would have let him pick his own staff. And I know he was a big fan of Sam at the time. Um, you know, obviously, you can always go back and, and things like that. But it's it's interesting how quickly, you know, I think my biggest issue with Gase was that these guys, you know, that was Peyton Manning's offense from, you know, the early 2010s that he basically kind of created on his own from his indie days. Gase kind of took it, did his own spin on it, and the spin obviously was not successful. And now, while I know he wasn't Ryan Tannehill, you know, as effective, you know, everyone kind of complains about Tannehill now, some like for some reason, and it's like they've gotten an AFC title game and one, you know, one playoff games. And I'm not saying he's a superstar, but he's definitely, you know, I don't know that Arthur Smith put them in the best spot to win in that playoff game. I don't think Tannehill was like holding them back by any means. So it'll be interesting to see how he does in Carolina because, like you said, new environment, Joe Brady turned Joe Burrow from that fifth, sixth round grade into probably the best college season I've ever seen. And then, mm-hmm. He was able to be effective, you know, with Teddy last year. And I'm not sure it's not an anti-Teddy or pro-Teddy thing. I just think he's very much like limited in what he can do based on his arm talent at this point in his career. And obviously not quite as mobile as he was pre-injury. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, how Sam does. Obviously he's reunited with the sun god <laughs> with Robbie and um, mm-hmm. that whole relationship. But no, it's the Jets are in a great spot, I think. And it's a team that over the next two years, I think of 11, you know, day one and day two picks combined, um, you know, over the next two years. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, kind of how all that plays out. What do you, uh, we'll finish up here with two quick, two quick things. A, who's the quarterback, who's, or I should, well, I won't even go quarterback. Who's one guy that you think will get drafted way higher than the year that's on your board, but that for whatever reason, based on draft night, you can already see other than a, a meteoric rise for whatever reason. And then one guy you think will slip that, it's going to slip maybe to day two that has no business being a day two pick. Uh, Jameen Davis, linebacker from Kentucky. He's one player that's skyrocketing up boards right now. And and for good stuff that he has done, he went out and crushed it at the pro day, running 4.37 at six foot four, 240 pounds, which is just ridiculous for his size. Uh, really good film as well. Very patient player. Really good hit power. Uh, was the leader of that Kentucky's defense. As well. So Jameen Davis definitely is one player that I think is going to go super high. It wouldn't even surprise me if he's the first linebacker taken of this entire class. And I like this linebacker class a little bit better than what some people do. Uh, I think there's a lot of guys that are probably going to go on day two. Uh, like Jabril Cox is another player that I think is going to go a little bit higher than what people are anticipating with him. And there's plenty of other linebackers that are intriguing in this class overall um, behind Michael Parsons. So uh, one player that probably, will probably go on day two. That's probably slipping a little bit right now. Uh, Gregory Rousseau from Miami, he probably would be the one guy that I think is going to go a little bit later 
than what people are expecting right now. I think he's a player that's probably regretting a little bit that he didn't opt out. And I wasn't expecting him to test like a super explosive athlete. I think he was right on par with where I expected him. But, you know, it's just a situation of where, um, you know, recency bias definitely is the thing with a lot of people right now. So Jalen Phillips and Quincy Brochet went out and had a similar type of season to what he did when he had his breakout year and then he's taking a year off from football and you talk about a player that's super raw. He needs as many reps as he can get. So you don't really know what you're going to get from him early on. I think that's going to scare off some teams, especially when you're talking about an edge rusher in the first round, you want those type of players to be immediate starters and instant impact type of players. Yeah. He's a guy at 34. Then a couple of the mocks I've done, um, he's been there and it's a guy that, feels like you, if you're the Jets specifically, you can't really pass up on him at 34, especially if you go O-line, uh, corner, or receiver at 23, depending upon, you know, how the board shakes out. But obviously an exciting time, three weeks, you know, three weeks of the NFL draft. I know it's, a, it's like a Super Bowl for, you know, in terms of the amount of work you probably put in over the last uh, six to nine months trying to get here, you know, working on this class. But um, make sure you guys follow Jordan, uh, you know, on Twitter, at the Draft Network. Um, you know, the, the read option pod as well. Um, you know, I, there's a lot of great content on there. It's super easy to digest. If you're somebody that's more of a casual fan, if you're more of an intense fan, you'll be able to, you know, get that fix of really in-depth analysis. But, uh, you know, obviously we really appreciate you, uh, you know, coming on the podcast. No problem. Thanks for having me as always, Will.